she says to me, Jose, have you received restitution? And I said, no. And she said, I cannot believe it. She goes, I can't believe it, but I can believe it. And she said, I need you to contact this attorney. Her name is Martina Vandenberg, and she works with the Human Trafficking Legal Center. And she goes, she is the nicest person ever. She was like, you're going to love her. She goes, but even though you have great representation, I want you to reach out to her just to see if there's something that she can do for you, or maybe she could guide you through ways to make this money come to you faster, the restitution. Hey, listeners. Welcome to Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Rowland. You're going to get to hear true sex trafficking crime stories. These are stories that maybe never made it to headlines. Maybe they weren't believed. And you're going to get to hear from survivors themselves tell the truths of sex trafficking. Join us. And remember, listener discretion is advised. We understand the the greatness about our community and we know the struggles of our community and I think that that is something to be excited for when we can come together and share stories like ours and be a voice for those who need us you are worthy you know and you are you're precious you know you're beautiful and in spite of what you're going through of what you've gone through it does not determine who you are going to be in the future just being able to tell my story to that one person who can relate or that one person who believes me. All that mess you went through, there's a message in that and there's a message of hope and transparency and freedom for somebody else. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your freedom is in your mouth and it's the key to somebody else's chains. You matter and your story matters always. Taking the voices of the unheard and you're letting them be heard in a very safe space. Welcome back, listeners, to Unseen the Traffic Truth, part two of Jose's story. We really do appreciate you guys taking out the time to finish his story and his journey of healing. So I go back with him and I will tell you this, in these moments, in my head, was I thinking I was just human trafficked? Absolutely not. I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand what that meant. All I knew was that this 36 year old saying I was pimped out. So then I'm thinking in my head, I'm a prostitute. I'm going to go to prison for what I did. Damn. And then I have a million of other other things going on in my head. My parents disowned me. This 36-year-old, I'm so in love with him and he doesn't love me back. Mm. How can I get him to love me and protect me? And then to be honest, in that moment, the situation with Jason seemed so irrelevant. Wow. I didn't even care about it that much. What I cared about was for the the idea that the people who were supposed to love me the most mm-hmm. gave up on me. Right. And that hurt me so much more. Mm. And I remember when I went back with the 36-year-old, there was something that had just changed in me. Something changed drastically. I began seeing signs of PTSD, anxiety, depression, and I'm talking like intense moments. The second that the 36-year-old would leave for work, I panicked and I would search through everything in his apartment to see if there was signs that he was cheating, Mm. to see if there were signs that he was just like Jason. And those were ways that I was coping and ways that I was trying to help myself get through the situation. And if you think about it, I mentally went crazy. 
I was mentally going insane and I didn't know if I was going to survive and make it through it because it was so hard. It was really, really hard. And then I started drinking and I started drinking heavily and I began lashing out. I began fighting. I began confronting the 36 year old. I became fearless. And this is when a lot of big problems started happening between us. And I lost trust in everybody. And I was going back and forth between home and the 36 year old's place. Back and forth for years. For years, I did that. You know, they, there's a saying that when someone is abused, it takes seven times to leave that person until you, you finally leave for good. And I don't know if it was seven times or more, but it was a lot of times. It was yeah. a lot of times. Can I ask you, so when you, you know, you were how old at this time? Were you 19, 18, 19, 20? When I left. Was, was um, with um, the 36-year-old kind of going, you know, through this state of the ultimate vulnerability and just not having any sense of like control because you were PTSD, anxiety, you know, you just must have been living in a very hard space. How old were you then? Because what you're describing is to me, a lot of us when we experience some of these things as a teenager. So I'm working with the teenagers and I'm seeing a lot of the parents also saying the same thing about them. They're like, they're acting out. Some of it is sexual acting out. You know, a lot of it's running away, like you said, going back to the so-called abuser or the groomer that's the boyfriend or the girlfriend and, you know, just super disrespectful, just in so much pain and in so much hurt. And people don't see that this can happen to adults. Like you still weren't okay. And you weren't supposed to be okay just because you're, you know, an adult, 19, 20 or 21. Um, And that's hard because the 36 year old was done with you after you were 18 and you never really got to be a teenager and go through these things. I, I finally left him somewhere around the age of 18-ish. So from the age of 16, actually 15 to 18, I was with this guy. Mm. Um, and then I, the only reason why I left, and this is going to blow everyone's mind, but I left because I went to jail because of <gasps> him. Yes. Stop it. Were you, please don't tell me it was prostitution. No, 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 no. Okay. So at the age of 18, I got a text or a a Yahoo messenger. I am from a guy saying that he was sleeping with the 36 year old and that he was HIV positive and that I needed to go and get tested because they had just had sex a week ago. And he was like, I'm more than positive that the 36 year old has it and he's been giving it to you. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, Oh my God, I need, I've never been tested in my life. I don't even know if I have HIV. I don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on. And so I'm texting the 36 year old nonstop and he comes home and I'm going crazy. I'm throwing things. I'm screaming. I'm freaking out, you know? And of course I'm emotionally immature. I I had just turned 18. I didn't know how to handle this, this type of situation. And I remember I'm telling him, you're not going anywhere. You need to explain to me what's going on. And I remember I blocked him in the kitchen and it came a time where I was so angry and I pushed him. And I pushed him and he hit his head on the back of the exhaust fan above the stove. And mind you, this 30-year-old is ex-military, huge muscle guy, 36, well, at this point, he's what, 38, 39, 38-year-old man. And I barely pushed him and he has like a small red spot on his head. And I didn't know this, but he calls the police and the police oh, come. I know what? This and I'm, and I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm thinking mad. in my head, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm thinking in my head, well, you're the one that's going to go to prison because right. 
you've been having sex with me since I was 15 years old. And the police show up and they pull us apart and they say, the first thing they say to me is, did you push him? And I go, of course I pushed him. Mm -hmm. And she goes, the woman says, I'm sorry, but you have to put your hands behind your back. You're coming with us. And so she puts me in handcuffs and I remember sitting in the back of the car. This is how naive I was. And I said, I'm crying. And I go, are you taking me home to my parents? And they go, no, you're going to jail for the night. (gasps) And I remember just crying, bawling my eyes out. And I'm thinking, I've gone through all of this. Right. And I'm the one going to jail. And (sighs) the 36-year-old knew. The second I turned 18, he knew I could get in trouble. And that is a whole other story in itself. But I slowly started to move away from him. And I started to get over him. He would still visit me wherever I moved. And it became once a week. Yep. It became once a week and then every other week and then once a month. And then slowly I just stopped seeing him. And he would still contact me by phone, ask me to send him pictures and videos and whatever he wanted. And of course, I was still, I still had this want for him, for him and I did as he asked. Mm-hmm. And then I then entered a life of survival sex. Mm-hmm. Now, what survival sex is, is when you have to have sex with people so that you can survive. I needed, I needed food. I needed to pay rent. Mm-hmm. I needed to figure out how to survive in this world without the support of other people. Mm-hmm. And I began survival sex, or if you want to call it prostitution, that's what I did. And I did it for a little bit. I was on webcams online. I did things that I am not proud of. I did things so that I could provide for myself. Right. And then I finally got a job on a real decent job. And then I was approached by someone online asking if I needed a job. Now, this is considered what we call a sugar daddy, sugar baby. Mm -hmm quote unquote, he called it a personal assistant, but. Oh Lord, you were a personal assistant? (laughs) (laughs) A personal assistant. Well, here we go into like, God, you are just, you are such a survivor. Thank you. Cause you literally (laughs) touched on survival sex, right? You've been through a lot, Jose. Yes. We, we, that's why, that's why we love you. (laughs) And you're being so open and sharing everything. So not only were you about to be like what they call, you know, this business pimp or whatever, but uh, or business trafficker. So you not only went and got a regular job, you know, but can you touch up on a little bit part of how like, it's not that easy when people say, okay, well, now you went to, you know, what we call a square life. Now you got a regular job. Um, but it's still not easy to not have to accept, you know, kind of like those invitations, because he was like, I needed an assistant. You know what I mean? There's probably a piece of you that's like, yeah, okay. But I don't know if I'm cut off on that kind of life yet because you've just been doing it for so long. And how long were you able to kind of maintain this square life with the regular job before you got this invitation? Let me tell you this. It It was probably a few months, if that. Wow. And the way, and I... At that time in my life, I was from job to job. And the way that I quit my jobs was mm-hmm. I just didn't show up the next day. Damn. I was living a... I'll tell you this. The depression was so heavy and so prevalent that I literally could not wake up in the mornings. I couldn't... I wouldn't leave my apartment. I wouldn't do anything. And the easy way for me to cope was to drink and two, the survival sex. It was easy money for me. It was like, well, I can do this and then I'll make, you know, a couple hundred for the week Mm -hmm. and I'll be okay. Where the job, 
I had to wake up at a certain time. I had to be ready. I had to work like legit, legit. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It's almost like you didn't want that control again. And you had some sense, even though it was little, some sense of your own control because you, right. Exactly. That is exactly exactly what it was, is that I finally could control these massages. So I was giving massages. That was something that I learned in the trade, right? I was giving. Right. Right. And so. God damn, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) So I was giving these massages and I remember thinking, well, I can run my own business and I can control, I can control who comes in, who pays me, how much they pay me and no one else is going to take the money. And it was, it was easy. It was easy and it was hard. It was hard because you don't realize that when you're doing these things as easy as, as it is, it's taking a huge toll on you and what you think Mm. of yourself. And I, at that point, Mm. began to think of myself as an item. I'm not a human being. Mm. I don't have feelings. I don't have emotions. I am an item. And people can degrade me. People can say whatever they want. I'm worthless. And I got to a point to where when this guy is offering me a job as a quote-unquote personal assistant, I'm thinking, well, if he kills me, so what? I've made it this far. Oh, you know, that's where it, you that's at. exactly where okay. I was. And I no longer cared about myself. I no longer cared about life. And it was like, well, either this is going to go really well and something great is going to happen, or it's going to be the worst of all. And I said, I'm willing to take the risk. And I ended up, and for any listeners who are really young, this is not something that I'm advising that you do, but I ended up in a situation where it was scary and very controlling and very manipulative, but I first, it was the first time I got a taste of luxury. I didn't know what designer clothing was. This guy was handing me tons and tons of money. I didn't know what to do with it. It was, but then things got really scary. He threatened me. Things became abusive. And so I got out of that situation. And then now I have this idea. Well, that didn't work out as I had hoped. Maybe there's other people like him and it will work out. And I can't. And you survived it. Right, exactly. Wow. And so I then began going on these websites and I'm now becoming a sugar baby and I'm living this sugar baby lifestyle. And I did it a few, I flew to a few different places. And then the last one, I flew to Boston, Massachusetts. And that is where I live now. Wow. But I... Yes. So I meet this guy. Things aren't really meshing like we thought they were going to. And I was fortunate enough that he was actually a decent human being. And he says to me, Jose, I understand that things aren't really going all that great between us. He was like, but I think you're a great guy. And I want to offer you a place with food on the table, rent-free under one condition. And I'm like, here we go. What What do you want from me? What can I do for you? And he says, you need to go back to school. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. But in my head, I was like, but I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't want that. I want Mm. this easy life. I want free money. I want gifts. And I want to party. And mind you, right. I was I was a couple of months shy of being 21. And so I was ready to party my life away. And if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would be where I am today. I enrolled into beauty school. I got my license as a hairstylist. I began working my butt off to become successful. I met David, who is my current boyfriend. We've been together for eight years now. 
Oh and, my goodness, amazing. Sorry, I'm taking a moment for yes. David. We love you, David. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all know eight, eight years is easy, especially you're still, you were still on your journey. So you were actually on your journey to recovery with him. Yes, wow. and he had no amazing. idea what no, he was going to be dealing him? with. I told him at the beginning. So I told him at the beginning, when I first him, I said, you need to understand that I've been through hell. I said, Mm -hmm. and if you do anything to hurt me, I said, Mm -hmm. I will hurt you back. Mm -hmm. I was ready Mm -hmm. for it. I was Mm -hmm. (laughs) was ready for it. But at that, yes. And at that time in my life, I literally, I was scared. I was Mm -hmm. afraid. Mm -hmm. I I didn't trust anyone. I remember the first month that I moved in with him, I did the same thing I did with the 36 year old. I did the same thing that I did with Jason. I went through every single Mm -hmm. drawer in his home Mm -hmm. for years, for Mm -hmm. years. And he stayed. And And you saw. (laughs) He stayed. He saw that he was staying. (laughs) Right. And we fought and I screamed and I got mad at him about things that weren't even his fault. I questioned him on things that he never did. It was all of this PTSD that was haunting me. It was, it was active. It was happening. And I didn't even know what I was going through. And then I got to a point to where I woke up one day and I had a huge panic attack, huge panic attack. I didn't leave the bed for two weeks. I barely ate and I did not leave the room because every time I moved, I felt like I was going to vomit or die or pass out or I didn't know what was happening to me. And finally, I contacted a doctor because I woke up one day and I chewed both sides of my tongue and I woke up with a (sighs) mouthful of blood and I freaked out. I went to the doctor. The doctor's like, you're under high stress. You, you need to, you need to stop working for a little bit and you need to take care of yourself. And then a friend came to visit from Houston, Texas. And I thought he came to visit because he wanted to see me, which I'm sure he did, but Mm -hmm. he came with some news and he said, I know what happened to you when you were a teenager. And I'm like, no, you don't. And he goes, yes, I do. And he goes, and the same thing happened to a 15-year-old boy with Jason. And he goes, and Jason's in prison. I'm in shock. And he shows me the article and the human trafficking hotline is at the bottom of the article. And it says, please call this number if you have any other information oh on this case. Gosh. What? But I have to tell you, I was trembling because I still had this idea that if I call law enforcement, I'm going to go to jail. I'm exactly. going to get in trouble. Exactly. You know, where and was that support? You. Right. right. Where was that support? Right. Where was that support my entire life? Oh. Where was law enforcement needed Jesus. them? Where were, where were the counselors, the therapists? Where were your advocates? All... Right. Exactly. Where was everybody? I wrote this down on my, on my sheet and I have like 5 million exclamation marks because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Where were these people for you? They were and all was... there. Oh. They oh. just turned the other way. Oh my goodness. Because I can't tell you the number of people that knew that I was in this relationship with an older man, school counselors, Mm. teachers, coworkers, my boss. I worked at a nearby fast food Sonic and Mm. my boss knew. And my boss always told me, she was like, something doesn't seem right. And she knew, Mm. she Mm. knew something wasn't right. School counselors knew that I was missing so much school and I was back and forth. You know, one moment in the semester, I'd be there. The next moment I'm gone, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I'd come back and they would look at my records and they'd say, Jose, your GPA was so high. You were taking AP courses. You were on the road to success and now you're failing and now you're not coming to class. What is going on? 
And I would be like, well, I moved and I moved away. They wouldn't ask me why. They didn't ask me who I'm staying with, nothing. I also, to move in with the 36-year-old and also enroll into school, I had to claim myself homeless so that I had a legal guardian enroll me into school. Because Mm -hmm. the only way you can enroll into high school or school in general is if you have a, a legal guardian. And the only way that I could do that is if I claim myself homeless. And there was no investigation. Zero investigation. Oh my God. Zero investigation. They didn't come into the home and check how I was living. They didn't check to see whom I was living with. They didn't check up on anything. They gave me a few vouchers for, I think it was Chick-fil-A and you know how much they love the (laughs) queer community. Um, (laughs) Throw those away. (laughs) No, I, well, it was free. So I ate the food. Um, Yeah. <laughs> but there were so many opportunities where law enforcement was called by nearby neighbors because there was fighting going on between me and the 36-year-old. Not what once did a law enforcement officer ask me for my ID. Um, mm. there were many opportunities where right. people could have stepped right. in and they never did. Yeah, right. I'm, you know, you're right. I just need to stop acting so damn shocked. You're right, because I see it every day. And I that's why I had like a million or so exclamation marks, you know, to just to be extra dramatic, because I was just like, nobody saw you, nobody wanted to make you feel like I need to ask you questions, and you're worth it. Like, this is really like pissing me off. But we're at a good point, because this fool got arrested. So I'm going to let my tangent go away, throwing it in trash. And we're going to hear about Jason's ass getting arrested, because I feel bad for that 15 year old that came out, or was caught or however it was, you're about to say it for you to see a hotline number let's not just let's not do full circle now because you're doing stuff with the polaris project which is so amazing but for you to see the hotline number as opposed to here call crime stoppers or here call you know if you're missing or if you you know whatever but it must have felt good to at least see that you can call a hotline and less be let let it be known that maybe it would be less judgmental you know let me be honest. I Uh-oh. didn't know. I didn't know who I was calling. I didn't know what really? this hotline. I didn't know what a hotline meant. I didn't know where it was going to end up. I didn't know if anything was going to happen, negative or positive. All I knew was that they were asking for people to come forward. Wow. And I had, I had a moment where I wasn't going to do anything. Yeah. And I remember. My boyfriend was out of town. He was visiting family in New Jersey and I was by myself and I was laying in bed and I cried the entire night and I was like, should I do it? And I didn't even talk to anybody about it because I didn't know what I should and shouldn't do. I I just didn't know how I felt about the whole thing. And I finally, I think it was like 3 a.m. And I sent a text message to the hotline. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, no, you, you, you're, man, you, again, I'm telling you these truths just, they just come out from your, your, this is amazing. So the truth is we all are still nervous about a hotline and they have different avenues. So for the listeners, you could text, you can call and you can email and you called or sorry, you texted at 3am. Mm-hmm. Wow. And someone wow. responded to me immediately. Yes. Immediately. Wow. And I just remember thinking like, I think the, one of the first things I asked, am I going to be in trouble? Mm, and they said, yeah. absolutely not. They said, absolutely not. What you say through this hotline is completely confidential. We don't have to share anything with anybody and we're probably not going to share anything. And so right. then I was like, I have information on the Jason Gandy case. And then they were like, okay, if you want to continue by text, you can, or we can set up a time and we can talk. If you want to get some rest and sleep on it, we can always talk to you at a different time. Nice. And I said, I'll call you tomorrow. And I did. And then they got me in contact with Homeland Security. Homeland Security asked me to meet them at their Boston location. 
And from there, I told, I shared my story in front of three agents and I was on a video chat with the DOJ who was working on the case against Jason. And they were like, Jose, we just want to hear what happened and we want to use your information for this case so that we can put Jason behind bars. And it was in that moment where I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. I will do anything and everything. I promise you I will be 100% honest. I will be transparent so that we can put this guy behind bars. And I think that the biggest thing that impacted me the most was that I found out that day that there were other other victims. And I remember I cried in front of all of them and I said, I'm only doing this because I didn't think and I didn't know that he was going to do this to other people. And Mm. I feel like it's my fault that Mm. he was able to continue to do this and he did it to someone else. And I, mm-hmm. I just remember bawling my eyes out. And of course, they reassured me, this is not your fault. Absolutely. This, you know, right. And absolutely. then we began a process. I had to, it was a long process. We, I contacted law enforcement in 2014. Jason was arrested in 2012. We didn't go to trial until 2018. Wow. Was he, you said he, he was in jail since 2012? Yes, he was in jail since 2012. He was not allowed to leave um, because they felt like he was a danger to society. Right. Can I ask this 15-year-old, do you know the story of like how and like how this 15-year-old got to the point where he was believed enough where Jason got arrested and then there was this, you know, push for other people to come forward? It wasn't about believing him. And it wasn't about his story. It was an agent at the border, at the airport, that felt like something was suspicious. Right. Okay. And then they separated them. And oh then, my God. Yes. And then they found, I believe it was like, I don't remember if it was like 50 condoms in his luggage. Oh. And then apparently the young boy or teenager tried to defend him and tried to lie at the beginning. Of course. Because he was afraid. He thought he was going to get in trouble. And then they started to dissect the story and they knew there were a lot of missing pieces. And then they finally got him to admit to what was happening. Wow. Okay. Yes. So with that, because it was overseas it now became a criminal case. And then they're looking for other victims. And I also think that this was a time where more people had a little bit more knowledge Knowledge. on what human trafficking was. Okay. And, Um, And at this point though, too, if I can, if I can add that, thankfully it was at the airport, right? So there's still those assumptions that being taken, you know, and, um, they, they just get investigated or looked more or more people are consciously aware. I know I had another kid place at our shelter and she was with a, a man also. And she was from, um, you know, she was a person of color, but he and he was uh, Caucasian, but he had sex toys in his luggage and he was this and he was that. And but all up until then, she had been trafficked for five years. So it's like, I know the awareness is out there, but there's still that misconception that it's like taken, go through the airports, look at Greyhound buses and and all these things when they're just right there, right in front of our face. But I digress. I'll tell you this. I think think some of the most popular cases are of trafficking cases within the United States. I can only speak for myself and from what I've learned is a lot of it is actually relationships that you've built with people around you, your neighbor, Mm -hmm. your, your, your parents. I've heard of familial trafficking, someone that you become close with a boyfriend. There's a a lot of these cases that are happening, but a lot of it are 
relationships. You built right. some form of a relationship with this person and then you trust them. Yeah. And you trust them enough that they don't need to lock you up. They don't need to yeah. tie you down. You mm-hmm. both have each other's trust and you're doing this with them. But the thing is, is that at when you are under the age, they don't need to threaten you because you mentally can't even understand what's happening to you. I know I didn't. I didn't know I was being trafficked. I didn't know that. I knew that what we were doing was wrong, but I didn't necessarily put blame on him. I put blame on myself. Mm. I said, Mm -hmm. I made that decision. I did that. But Mm. if you look at the real situation, this is a grown man with young boys and he's manipulating them mentally to do this. I don't know if you've heard anything about the Nexium cult. I know the guy just got sentenced to like 130 years in prison. Oh my goodness. Um, wow. But these were these were adults who were manipulated and sex trafficked through a cult. And these were mm. professional, very intelligent people. Wow. And they went through with it. And it's all about manipulation and right. control. And there are certain people that are really good at it and they know how to do it and they do it well. And you don't need to lock anybody up when you can mentally lock them up mm-hmm. and control them. So, mm-hmm. but. And it's back to that, that love and, that. yeah. And it's back to that love and acceptance. Like you mentioned earlier, because you, like you said, there's those roles that a lot of people play, um, in Hawaii, there's like the mahus that are like the mom-masons. And, you know, I mean, a sugar baby in itself, being a sugar baby and having a sugar daddy in, its, in itself and anyone that's under the age of 18 is freaking trafficking. So they don't need to build that relationship, but it's also the persona of the relationship that you're, you know, that you're looking for. Because like you said, they're not going to have to control you physically because they have you at in a hold for that stuff that you earn the most that you want to have the most right absolutely (sighs) so here we are with yep continue with just this this jason um because we don't know now that you are starting this you did this you you disclosed to the detectives and and someone from the doj well homeland security excuse me and what happened for, for all the listeners that are like, I want to be able to tell my story or, you know, it's not too late that when I start telling my story, there might be other people come forward. You know, we saw it with Bill Cosby, Me Too, Jeffrey Epstein, whatever. Um, so now we have a successful survivor who went through the legal um, aspects of it. And what do they need to know that came next for you after you said what happened? You know, he's in jail then what? Hey listeners, taking a quick break here. But as we are talking about commercial sexual exploitation of children, one of the many, many ways that this is occurring continually is through social media, through texting, through gaming. These digital predators are attacking our young people. And I say that to get you all informed and reminded that there are devices now in 2020 that assist us in preventing this exploitation. I talked about it before, but check out Gab Wireless. Right now, there's still a special where you still use our promo code unseen TTT podcast capital letters. You get $10 off of $79.99. That's right. They're running a promotion right now where there's 20% off of $99. So you listeners who just want to see how you can help and prevent this from happening or affecting your young people in your life, check out this phone. The most important thing is that there's no internet browsers. There's no social media apps allowed to be even downloaded. So check it out. Go to their website, use our promo code. The link is in the show notes. So what happened was, I'll tell you this. I went through this dark hole 
I fell into a really, really dark hole. And I think the reason why is because I, I think we all do this. We put our traumas in the back of our head, very, very far in the back of our head. And it's yep. almost like they, they never, they never happened. They don't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one has given them power. And it was in this moment where I gave power and I gave them life. They are now true. They are now out there. It happened. It officially happened. And I didn't know how to handle it. I, I was told and instructed that I should go to therapy. But at this point in my life, I was like, well, I made it this far. What is therapy going to do for me? And I didn't know what to do with all of these feelings, these emotions. It, it almost just kind of took control of me. And I had zero control over what was happening to my body, to my mental health, to everything. I was eating like crazy. I was drinking like crazy. I was having the time of my life in the worst way possible. And then I was instructed. So I was contacted by a ton of lawyers asking me if I had thought about a civil suit against Jason. And I didn't even know what that was. And they gave me all the info. They helped me through it. And they said, we need you to go and get checked out mentally. And we need them to write something explaining your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. So I went and saw a therapist, basically. And I went and saw a therapist and she's like, you've got severe PTSD. You have severe anxiety. You are highly depressed. And she was like, this is what it's going to cost you. This is how often you need to come and see me. And Mm -hmm. this is going to help you. And I remember sitting in that office thinking like, oh, I'm going to therapy. And I went into this therapy session and oh my God, I let everything out. I cried, I let it out. And suddenly I was like, this works. (laughs) Yes, right, right. We need that shit, but you're right. Because it's a certain time though. It's a certain time when that shit can work. Yes. You know, right, right. And... I will say I do wish that I had done it a lot sooner though, because now at this point in my life, there was so much, Mm -hmm. not only was it the trafficking, it's the relationship with my parents. It is. And that relationship was so tarnished and just so bad. It's still not great at all. Right. Mm. And there, and then my childhood and then, right. you know, it's just everything came mm-hmm. and I'm just like, this is a lot. Even right. to today, I'm, I'm still in therapy. I go yes. every other week. Sometimes I go every week. Um, but there That's are great. times where things come up and I'm like, I didn't right. even know that was affecting me. Right. And yes, it affects us and our personalities in our relationships, at work, at home, you name it. It's constantly affecting us. And we're we're still trying to survive the daily life of being an adult (laughs) in a relationship, like you said. So there's just so many layers and it's so awesome to hear that you gave the therapy and the counseling and another way of getting support a chance. And I know your partner also agrees that that's good. And, you know, like for my partner, she's getting, we're just getting couples, regular couples therapy too, on top of like my thing. Plus, you know, like you said, there's working relationships that you, professional relationships, there's the trauma, you know, and then there's the triggers that constantly happen. There's so many trauma reminders in our daily lives that, you know, people might think we're crazy when we're just like, um, I just, you know, we're just like take a moment and, and we're like, damn, I didn't know that affected me just like literally like you just said. So I thank you for speaking truths about that and giving the therapy and the counseling a chance. You did mention also too, like they recommended you to open a civil case. Like that's not very common either for someone to recommend that. And that gave you some kind of power 
You know what I mean? I'm going to share something with you that is so recent. Okay. So important. So this is for everyone out there that feels like no one is ever going to support you. No one's ever going to be there for you where you feel like you're helpless and you feel hopeless. And, and it was, yes, the end of the trial and the sentencing, by the way, Jason was sentenced to 30 years in prison. He's in prison. Goodbye. Goodbye, boy. He, yes. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, right but uh, yeah, I mean, or hopefully something else happens, but right. Exactly. Um, yes. So yes, that was beneficial and that helped me, but there's a moment and there've been a few moments within my story that have affected me and that will always stick, stick and stay with me. I, so this was during quarantine. I was con- I was in contact with the Polaris project we were talking about how I was going to share my story and opportunities through them and, you know, more advocacy work, basically. And I'm sharing my story with them. And we get to the point about the trial. And we're talking about restitution. By the way, this is exactly what the webinar is going to be about. So if you want more information on civil and criminal litigation, please tune in to that. But she says to me, Jose, have you received restitution? And I said, no. And she said, I cannot believe it. She goes, I can't believe it, but I can believe it. And she said, I need you to contact this attorney. Her name is Martina Vandenberg and she works with the Human Trafficking Legal Center. And she goes, she is the nicest person ever. She was like, you're going to love her. She goes, but even though you have great representation, I want you to reach out to her just to see if there's something that she can do for you, or maybe she could guide you through ways to make this money come to you faster, the restitution. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll send her an email. I send her an email and she ended up being on vacation. So a week later, she gets in contact with me. She calls me and I answer the phone and she goes, Jose, I have been waiting to talk to you for a very long time. how do you know me how do you she goes I am the one who contacted the first people it was Rio Grande Legal Aid who contacted me about pursuing a civil suit so this is how it all ties together wow and it's a full circle and she goes I'm the one who contacted Rio Grande Legal Aid I spoke with them and I knew that you were looking for someone to represent you in a civil suit. And she goes, I was that bridge between Rio Grande Legal Aid and Fish and Richardson. And I immediately, one, I got chills through my entire body. And then I started crying. I cried. Like I bawled. And then she started crying. Oh my God. (laughs) I said, Martina, I said, you have no idea what this means to me. I said, I had no idea that there were people who I didn't even know who were looking out for me and who were helping me and working behind the scenes. And I I promise you this, that there are really good people out there. As much as I talk about all the bad people, there are Mm -hmm. some really, really great people. And Martina is one of my angels and we're still working together now. Um, She's actually going to be working with me on the webinar um, yes, that, we're doing. that is amazing. We get to see yes. Martina. Yes, yes. <laughs> Martina is incredible. And she's been doing this, doing pro bono legal work with human trafficking survivors for a very long time. And yes, she is a godsend. So I am so appreciative of that. But 
how crazy that there are these how organizations crazy. that are looking for these stories, that are looking for these trials, that are looking for people that they right. can help guide exactly. and help with legal services because this is what they're they're good at. Yeah. So it was yeah. incredible. So their real grand legal aid is one of those services okay. that reaches out to people and they reached out to me. And so that's how I began the civil process. That's amazing. So I want to touch base on that really quickly. Civil suit. I ended up suing Jason for 450000 Wow. We wow. didn't believe that he has that money. We still don't believe mm-hmm. that he has that money. Mm-hmm. And we went in with it thinking we're going to sue him so that he owes you for the rest of his life for what he did to you. Hell and, yeah. and I said, let's do it. And so we did. And then I started thinking, I'm from Texas. I'm Latino. I'm gay. Nobody's mm. going to help me. No one Jesus. has helped me in the past. No one's oh. going to help me now. God. And I'm thinking either this judge is going to say we won the case and I'm going to be granted the 450000 or he's going to give me less or we're going to lose. Right. And You're going to make me cry at this one. Went this to the what, trial. This is, what com- this is what compelled me to, <laughs> to your story. And you, and you just said the opener and, and is what I felt when I saw that and then I said, he's Latino, he's gay, he's been sex trafficked, and not a lot of people understand that. And then boom, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yes, I just, so, I get so no, excited. it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, this is six years of waiting for oh, an my outcome, gosh. a resolution. Jesus. Oh and my God. So I'm in that courtroom and we present my case. I tell part of my story. I tell how I felt. I get emotional. And then we leave. And I'm like, okay, how long until I find out? And they're like, give it a few days. I believe two or three days went by. And I got a phone call. And it was from the attorneys at Fish and Richardson. And they said, Jose, congratulations. The judge not only granted you the 450000 but he basically tripled the amount, which he granted what? you $1.5 Oh, my gosh. Right. And to be honest with you, I'll probably never see that money. So but what? for me, mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. it is just a piece of paper, but it's a piece mm-hmm. of paper that proves to me and should prove to others that there are people that are going to support you and that are going to help you and that are going to give you justice. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't Uh matter your sexuality. Yes, All that matters is that you get justice. And that is the legal system that I was hoping for. And we got it. And we got And it. what a blessing. What a blessing. And it just sounds like the judge saw you, understood the nature of this crime, and knew the value of what you should get in terms of justice. Because right. he saw me as a human. He yes. saw me as a human. How many times did I talk about in this story where I was invisible? Yep. Mm-hmm. I was invisible. And I wasn't invisible. Because I was a child, I was invisible because I was gay Mm -hmm. and I was a Latino Mm -hmm. and I was a male. Mm. And that is why I was invisible. But thank God this judge saw me Mm. as a human, as a human being. He saw you. He saw you for much more than your story too, even though it was, it's, it's horrible. It, it, it really is. It's horrible. And we don't get enough of the respect and uh, coverage for these type of stories. Cause at the end of the day, it's still a crime. You have Jason in fucking jail, excuse my language, He's in <laughs> freaking jail. So honey, you are at where a lot of us, cause I'm a, I'm a, 
I'm like a true crime person. Like I love listening to it. That's why I started this too. So I could just kind of cover these kind of stories because you all still deserve justice. And it doesn't have to be in terms of, okay, well, are they behind bars or not? Or they finally got caught or they're not going to victimize anybody else. But we didn't even get to add the layer that you can receive restitution. You guys can go for a civil case and you can get awarded your worth. Even though, like you said, disclaimer, I might not see that shit, but it's the principle. It's the 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 being seen that is the most invalid. It validated. It validated, it validated yeah. my story. It really mm. did because there were a lot of times where people heard my story and they were like, "Oh, that's terrible." And then, <laughs> and then I go through the trial, and then I go through the civil case. I win my civil case. We win the trial. And then people are like, tell me, tell me, I want to know. And I was just like, but you didn't want to know a (laughs) year ago. Exactly, exactly. No, but Mm. touching on telling your story, I do want Mm -hmm. people to know that it's not easy. And Mm -hmm. I'm at a different place with it because I've told it so many times. But I will say the first couple of times, actually the first time I was telling my story through the U.S. Attorney's Office in Houston, Texas, I shared my story and I thought, oh, you know, it went so well, everything went well. And then I woke up the next morning and I was suicidal and I wanted to take my life and I almost took my life and Mm. I was in a really dark place. And that is proof that it is not easy to share this story because you're going to give it life. It's going to it's going to grow and it's going to get big and people are going to hear it and people are going to repeat it and people are going to say things positive and negative. Right. And it is going to impact you and it is going to affect you in positive ways and negative ways. And it's what you allow it to do. And what I have been able to do is I've allowed it to help me grow as a person, understand it more so that I can move on from it and let it go. And I will tell you this, I have become stronger and I, and I don't care if this sounds like I'm being cocky or full of myself. <laughs> I feel like I am a hundred times stronger because I've had the opportunity to share my story. And like I said, it wouldn't be possible without platforms that are willing to give me that opportunity to share my story. And because of that, I am now able to heal and I am able to move on. Even though you might think that me continuing to share my story over and over is not allowing me to move on, it's actually allowing me to move on because now I can... I can share it and it's going to help other people and I can focus on their journey Mm. and help them in their journey. And now there are other stories that I'm listening to and I'm hearing. It's this whole healing process and it's quite incredible. So I will say it, it is great if you decide to share your story. We need more queer people to come forward and share their story. But at the same time, when you're ready, don't just do it because someone is pressuring you. Make sure you are mentally prepared for what's to come afterward. Thank you, Jose. That was beautiful. And we thank you for being here, for being on this platform. We see you. You are still continuing to bless others with your story as of today on this platform, for sure. Because I am I am in awe. I, I held back some tears a few times and you have a very, very pleasant voice in telling your story. Does sound like you, you know, you have a, a good stance on how you're telling your story, you know, because like you said, timing is, is, is very important. And when I told my story, I was still like, I was just all over the place still 15 years later as a grown woman. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I'm a, and I still have those fears, like you said, but it's, it's about when I told my story and what I could do. And I thank you so much for saying that because it's being able to hear your story and learning and us being able to be a community and a network of supporting one another. Because I feel like 
not like it's like DV is very common, um, but it is very common. And I feel like they have their, you know, their awareness. And I feel like we're in the stages of where they were trying to get it out, getting the awareness, doing the trainings, recognition, and then people learning and having different platforms for DV. It's the same thing as our equal rights and, you know, rights for LGBTQA community too. So it's just, we're just here. We're here supporting each other. We're seeing each other. And I just, I can't thank you enough. And I want to always, always close out with not just unseen us at the team can support you because we know what you have ahead of you. We're going to look forward to January 2021. But how else can we support you and the allies and the listeners right now on your journey? And also remind us of your handles so that we can get into contact with you or you might, you know, really impact someone's life where they need to just reach out to you. The best way that you can support me is to spread my message spread my story, Mm. share your knowledge on it, share what you've learned. Also be active, be active in the community, you know, be an advocate for those that can't speak up for themselves, make people feel like they are human Mm. and they are equal and they are worthy of Mm. love and acceptance. acceptance. And I think that that is most important is about loving your neighbor, loving your friends, loving your family, loving everyone that you come in contact with and showing them that they are human and they are lovable and they are yes. amazing creatures. So yes. <laughs> yes. if you Aren't want, we? if you, yes, we are. Yes, we are. And we're all unique and we're all on our own journey. Um, so but to share my handles, I believe the majority of my handles on social media are all at Jose, J-O-S-E, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, Alfaro, A-L-F as in Frank, A-R-O, Jose Lewis Alfaro. Um, so you can follow me there. I try to post as much as possible. I try to share everything that I'm doing whether it be a podcast, a webinar, an article, whatever it be. But I, like I said, the most important thing is sharing knowledge so that we can all grow and learn. I do believe that that's why we're placed on this earth is to grow as humans and become better and better people. And so with that, if you also want to know more about my story, I am in the process of completing my book and I am looking to try and get published. It is not a very easy industry, but I am looking at ways that I can get into the publishing world and try to get it published and get it out there. And and it'll be bigger than if I self-published, but if it does, Right now I have a title and I don't know if this is going to be the title, but I'm going to repeat the title because it says so much about our stories and our lives. So I named it myself, Gay Crazy Sane. And that is how my whole life has felt. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. And do you think that started when you were 15 or do you think it was before that? Oh, way before that. Yeah. Way before that. Yeah. My story talks about my Id- finding my identity mm-hmm. and trying to figure out who I was and learning where I belonged and where mm. I fit in. Mm. Um, and then it goes into how I was rejected by my family and then how I became vulnerable. And then the things that I went through during that whole time of my life where I was vulnerable to so many people. I've listed three major ones, but there's more in the book. And there are fun, there are crazy, there are insane (laughs) stories that I share within this book. And all of them are 100% transparent and real. And And I think that anyone and everyone can learn something from it. Um, So I'm so excited to share. Very, very excited to share. Well, we're putting it out there that it's going to be a bestseller and you already got Unseen (laughs) as your number one fan. And I'm saying this all in all all honesty. Like I'm buying every 
one's books because like you said, I have so much to learn. I want everyone else to learn and I want to put out that information as much as I can. So keep us posted. Also, like you said, share the platform for those who are ready and willing to share their you know, their story so that we can continue to learn and be educated through these truths. And also, I do want to remind everybody that we will put his handles and the contact information for the Polaris Project and the National Human Trafficking Hotline in the show notes so that if you all do suspect or you want to report a tip or, you know, you just want to come out and see what services that you can benefit from as being a survivor, we'll have all that information there. So... We end that with saying what I'd normally say because this is genuinely true because I survived and I do this for you all. I love you, Jose. I'm thankful that you're here and we see you. Hey, it's Victoria. So thanks for tuning in today. That might have been a lot, but I appreciate you for tuning in, listening, and just being a part of the traffic truce. The time is now. And I also wanted to ask, If you want to share your survivor story, or if you have a topic that you just want us to cover to raise more awareness, let me know at Gmail or on Instagram, unseenttttpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram.